welcome to the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons that they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way, and we should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today, and if you like what you hear, please share the show with a friend. Hello everybody, it's Jessica and I'm back now to share with you my birth story with Cooper and it is just kind of a heart to heart of the recap of what I would tell a girlfriend who asked how did your delivery go and then I will share. So it's not overly formal. Um, I also have been dealing with a lot of postpartum anxiety and that manifests itself in having a hard time articulating myself. Great for a podcaster, huh? So I really found myself having a harder time articulating my words than I did prior to delivering Cooper in these past few weeks. So, you know, just kind of bear with me, but here's, here's my journey. I am so excited to be on this side of my pregnancy and to have Cooper safely here now that we've met him and know him. We love him more than we ever thought possible. And I'm so excited to share with you today about that journey. So you heard a few weeks ago my pregnancy journey letter to my baby episode where I shared an episode that I recorded on March 9th and I was very hopeful that Cooper would be born soon but I didn't know but little did I know he's going to be born on March 16th. So this is the story of Cooper James Dahlquist coming to this world. So Something interesting about our situation is that we never dreamed when we got pregnant, it would still be somewhat pandemic times. The hospital would still have different procedures and we'd be birthing with a mask and all of those things. I got pregnant in July of 2020 and I never even considered that in March of 2021, we would still have to be dealing with with COVID and different types of things related to the pandemic. But lo and behold, there we were. <laughs> and also, all year long, everything had been remote and stopped and shut down. And so Pete had been working from home and He was in his final year of getting his master's in national security, which was really exciting. And he was able to do that from home instead of having to drive to San Diego once a week for his class. And I mean, just everything had worked out so great with him working from home and doing the class from home, being able to help out with the boys and just having flexibility. I literally had seen him more in the past year than I have our entire marriage because he's always been busy and, you know, away a lot with work and things. And we had our groove down and it was fine, but boy, have we appreciated having him home. So I think most of you probably know that he is not only a prosecutor for the federal government, but he also is a reservist in the Navy. So Every now and again, certain things come up for the reservists where they get a special assignment to go do something. And if they ask you to do something, you say yes. If they tell you when to be somewhere, you are there at that time. It's like non-negotiable. And it just so happens that in January, he was extended 
an offer, well, an assignment to come out to Tennessee for two weeks to do a special assignment starting on April 1st, 2021. Now, we've been home all year (laughs) and he's going to have to go for two weeks right after the baby's born. Now, Cooper was scheduled, well, Cooper... Cooper's due date was March 24th. No, 23rd. Now I even forget. March 23rd, I think. Yes. And so even if he came on his due date, having him home for seven days sounded crazy. And so as it was getting closer and closer to the due date, I was stressing when I wasn't, you know, progressing at my checkups and things like that because it looked like we were going to go on time or, you know, heaven forbid, maybe even late. So not only was I stressed about having a big baby because I'm a small person, but also having Pete gone shortly after the birth and having his help and support. So actually, Pete's military assignment really helped garner the sympathy of my OB because because everything was looking really good, she was very much sympathetic to that situation and wanting to help us out to make sure that Pete was not only able to be at the delivery, but also there as much as possible in the weeks postpartum before he left. And so it was, uh, let's see, I think I recorded, so if I record on the 9th, I think that was a Tuesday. So then on the 10th, um, I went into my appointment and I hadn't progressed any and I was so sad and I'm like, I feel like this baby's getting really big. My last baby Jackson was nine pounds, 14 ounces and I am five foot one and just kind of a mini person and I just felt like I did not want a huge baby and I was induced with Jackson as well on my due date and that was his weight and so I thought, gosh, I just wish... I could be induced a little bit early. So she checked her schedule and she said, okay, we can either induce you on Monday, this coming Monday, which was five days from then, or four days after my due date. That was the next time she was in the hospital. And I kind of broke down in tears. So I'm like, well, Monday seems really soon. And, you know, maybe you're not going to get approval for that. And four days after my due date, I mean, that puts us, you know, with Pete being home, like four days with the family. And that felt really stressful. So she's like, well, let's just, let's check you again on Monday and then we'll see how things have progressed and see if we still feel good about in bringing you in that night. So I was so grateful that I at least had that on the books, um, instead of waiting until my due date to see, you know, what was going to happen next. So, On Saturday, the Saturday before that Monday, so just a couple days after that check, um, I was going to get my car detailed on the inside and Pete and I were (laughs) at a car detail place for so long and I was getting so mad because they told me it was going to be an hour and I, after like an hour and a half, I'm starting to like question what is going on, I'm getting mad and so then I go to the manager at two hours and like you told me it was going to be this long. I'm pregnant. I'm hurting. And at about the hour and a half mark, I also started having contractions sitting in the chair. So I'm like, oh gosh, like what, (laughs) what if this like turns out to be something totally crazy that puts me into labor? 
And at that time also, I was having terrible sciatic pain. And so I could barely walk and I was having contractions and my car was not done at the car detail place. And at about three hours, finally, I'm about ready to march in there and give them a piece of my mind and ask for it for free and all this. And then they give us our car three hours later and we sit inside and it's like we don't even recognize the car because it looks so nice. And Pete's like, I think they are probably thinking that they undercharged us because they were not expecting such a terribly messy minivan. And I'm like, uh, yeah, you're probably right. He's like, we got what we paid for. Let's go. We're not going into a haggle with the manager about the time. So that was kind of funny. So by the time I got home, though, it was like 4 p.m. And oh, I'm going to sit down on the floor. <sighs> so by the time I got home, it was about 4 p.m. And my parents happened to be in town for soccer games and whatnot. And um, I was still having regular contractions and I could talk through them, but they were very regular. They were between three and five minutes apart and they were consistent that way. Just not getting more and more painful, I would say. So I called labor and delivery about five and said, what do you think I should do? And they said, oh, well, if it's your fourth, you know, maybe you should come in and get checked. So I was so hopeful they would just keep me and it was a slow, you know, Saturday, but I didn't know. So I packed the bag real quick and we installed the car seat and off we went hoping to have a baby. And Pete could not come up with me. Um, They don't let spouses up unless you are actually admitted to the hospital. That's still the protocol here in Southern California. And so he waited in the parking lot and I went in and got checked and I just hobbled around. I was in so much pain for my back, but still the contractions weren't terrible, to be honest. So still regular. And they just said, you know what? You're not quite there, but you very well could progress even tonight or tomorrow. And uh, such a tender mercy was that with uh, Kaiser that I have, we have a doctor assigned to us and a midwife. And I kind of alternated seeing both throughout my pregnancy. And my midwife happened to be on call that night. And so she's the one that came in and checked me. And so my doctor had, had said at the last appointment that she was going to confer with the midwife to see, you know, what she thought about inducing me on Monday, um, a week early. So that would have been at 39 weeks. And so I was able to talk to her and I said, oh, I'm so glad you're here. And I explained and she's like, oh yeah, the doctor said your husband's going to be leaving soon. And you know, you're 39 weeks. Yeah. You're not, you know, progressed enough to keep you tonight, but I don't have any problem inducing you Monday as long as, you know, everything still looks good. And I just felt such reassurance. And even though I was hopeful I could stay that night, just having, you know, two more days to wait was, I, there was a light at the end of the tunnel and I felt so good about it. And so the next, so we went home and, you know, it's always kind of the walk of shame. I tend to, I think with every single of my kids, I went in like a day or two before to the hospital thinking I was maybe in labor and I wasn't and got sent home. How many of you guys have gotten (laughs) sent home? And especially after you've done it a few times, you would think, you know, you know, this is definitely go time or this is not, but I think you just get so hopeful that you just go in at the, the slightest, you know, chance that that might be it. Right. So we go home that night and my parents, thankfully were planning on staying over anyway. And 
we had just had a lovely Sunday and I was able to sleep and rest and my back was still terrible, but I was able just to lay down and it was just a lovely day. It was so peaceful and wonderful and I really am glad that I had that day to kind of rest and recoup and gear up for, for Monday. So my parents went home Sunday night and another kind of tricky thing is that my grandfather, my dad's dad, ended up in the hospital and things turned pretty scary for him pretty quickly. And he had a a cardiac event and they put in a pacemaker and he had an infection and then he got pneumonia and then he was on a ventilator. I mean, it was just like super, super scary. And so in the midst of me going back and forth to the hospital, my dad is dealing with that and we're just praying for, you know, positive outcome for, for him. And so they were, felt good enough about my grandpa's condition that they went home to San Diego, my parents on Sunday night with the plan of coming back on Monday afternoon. Cause my mom had to work on Monday morning. She's a preschool teacher. They came back on Monday afternoon. I had my appointment Monday afternoon and my doctor checked me and she said, you know, you're not you know, that much further along, but I feel fine about inducing you at 39 weeks. So let's bring you in tonight. Oh, I was elated to have that go ahead. So I tied up some loose ends with work and with the podcast and with my kids. And I took them to some final soccer practices and got ready for baby. And I was, I called the hospital at seven o'clock PM. Like they told me on Monday night. And they said, okay, we're actually really busy tonight. So we'll call you when it slows down a little bit and some rooms open up. And I'm like, uh-oh, I'm going to get bumped. But thankfully, they called me just an hour later, about 8 o'clock. And they said, okay, it's actually slowed down quite a bit. So come on in. Pete and I headed to the hospital. And because I was had a scheduled induction at that point, they let him come all the way up. We were escorted right into our delivery room. And it just felt surreal because I would really rather come in under those circumstances than in like writhing pain. And induction is not for everybody, but with Jackson, I actually had a better experience than my previous two labors. It was a little bit shorter because I have really long labors. Jackson's was only like 16 hours and the other two were 21 and 24 hours and terribly painful. The epidurals were not great. And anyway, the induction I felt like was the way to go for me. So I got checked in about like 9, 9.30 and then they got me hooked up to the Pitocin and that started and I got my epidural about 12.30 and we did have to wear a mask, but it is interesting because you kind of, you do kind of forget about it. However, when I was getting my epidural, Pete's a little bit squeamish in hospitals anyway. And so him and his mask, trying to breathe through seeing me in pain of getting the epidural, he almost lost, (laughs) he almost lost it. They had him take off his mask and go lay down because that was really hard for him to watch. But I don't think he saw anything. It was really hard for me to actually lay down on the hospital bed because of my sciatic nerve pain. It, It just was so, so terrible. So laying on my back was terrible, but the nurses were so wonderful and understanding. And they gave me this like peanut inflatable thing 
that I was able to put between my knees and they just helped help me flip over, flip over, flip over <laughs> and had that between my knees. And that actually did hurt. It did feel, that actually did feel much better. But once I got the epidural, not only did I feel better with my contractions, but I didn't feel my sciatic anymore. And so actually that was more of a relief than even the contractions at that point. I kind of jumped, you know, to, okay, yeah, let's get the epidural before it ever got terrible, terrible on the front end with the contractions. But my back pain was so indescribable at that point that it was just so great to be able to have that epidural. And you know, that sensation of having that warm presence come over your legs. Oh, it feels so good. And and my anesthesiologist did just such a great job. And I feel like this was the most successful epidural that I've had in my four births. So shout out to my <laughs> anesthesiologist. He was so wonderful. So got my epidural. That was about 1230, finished by like 1 a.m. And then I was able to go to sleep and Pete was able to go to sleep. And they kept flipping me obviously, but really it was quite a restful night. They broke my water in the morning. My water never breaks on its own. So everything, I felt really reassured because everything was happening very in a very similar pattern to the other births that I had experienced, especially with Jackson. It gave me so much hope to kind of know what was next. I think childbirth can feel so out of control and um, scary just because of the unknown. And sure, things could have be, you know, entered an unknown territory, but with each thing that un- unraveled, but with each step of the process for me in this one, I just felt a familiarity with a previous birth and like, okay, I've done this before. I can do this again. This is what I need to get through. And so they broke my water and in the morning, you know, things were still slow moving and, and whatnot, but things do pick up a little bit once my water breaks. But the, the hardest part, the hardest part of my labor is always the two to three hours before I am actually fully dilated and allowed to push because I start feeling like I need to push two to three hours before I'm allowed and before I'm ready. So usually about, you know, dilated to like a seven or so. And, and I really, really start to feel that intense pressure that is extremely painful and that the epidural does not touch, right? You know what I'm talking about? So it's not the contraction pain, it's the pressure pain. And, and again, I thought I was probably having another (laughs) huge baby. And so I was a little bit scared of that, but because I knew that feeling and that it was going to probably last a couple hours, I just kind of entered this space of, okay, I probably just need to get through the next two hours and then he'll be here. Instead of just wondering, you know, is is everything going to be okay? Am I going to get through this? I always <laughs> set out with my labors telling Pete, Pete, this time I'm going to be really quiet. I'm going to be really peaceful. I remember watching... Uh, Courtney Kardashian give birth on one of the Keeping Up Kardashian episodes. And she was like silent when she gave birth. And when she would like be in pain, she just like breathed. And I always thought that was going to be me. But no, for the first three, I just like screamed like a banshee. And I was like, I'm never doing this again. Ah, why'd you make me do this? You know, and I'm like snapping at the nurses kind of. And then I apologize after, you know, 
at this time I told the same thing. I'm like, I'm going to be quiet on this one. I'm going to be so like well behaved and mannerly. And he's like, why? Like, just do what you're going to do. And I'm like, no, I think I'm going to do that this way. And so while I knew I was going to give myself permission to just be how I was going to be, there was something again about knowing that, okay, this is the pressure pain and it's going to last a couple hours, but I can do this. I was made for this. I was made to endure this. And I just breathed deep and I just, and I just shushed it out. I did yoga breathing and I just went inward and I just didn't yell and I just kept it like calm and I just breathed so deep and it just kept me regulated and it hurt like the Dickens. I mean, it didn't hurt any less than my others. But I knew I could do it. And so after about an hour of that, I'm like, okay, I know I'm getting closer. And then one more hour, okay, I bet he's going to be born in the next hour. And sure enough, about two and a half hours into that feeling, the midwife comes in to check me and says, okay, like we're ready to go. And she was really calm. And she's like, the person next door is giving birth as well right now. And so she's like, I'm going to go back and forth. (laughs) And we'll just see where I'm needed more. And uh, so as it turns out, somebody else actually came in because we were so close, the gal next to me and me, so close to giving birth at the same time that somebody else came back in to actually catch my baby. But very similarly to the other kids, it was about five pushes and he was out. And I just remember feeling so empowered that I could like get him out and move him down. And the other ones, I felt so much more erratic and like, how am I ever going to push out this massive baby? But this one, because he was turned out to be a little bit smaller, and I just had so much more confidence in myself and the whole thing was much less like hysterical. It just felt so much more doable. And in about five pushes, out came Cooper James Dahlquist and... They pulled him up and he had dark hair and he just, and they said, whoa, he's big. But as it turned out, he was eight pounds, seven ounces, just like Parker. And I think that is the perfect size, (laughs) not too small, sturdy enough. And, you know, we're not too, we weren't going to be too worried about weight gain and things at that weight. (sighs) But he was there and I was so excited and he, he hardly cried, but like his color was good. He looked really good. And they put him on my chest and I just breathed him in. It was just so, so happy. Then the doctors kind of took him away to, to do their stuff and cleaning him up and measuring him and doing all those, those tests and he passed with flying colors. And I was just so relieved and happy and It was just such a wonderful moment and I just, there's nothing like the moment that our babies are born because my husband Pete is not an emotional guy, but seeing him elated at the moment where he gets to meet one of his children is the most tender thing and he goes, you know, over with the baby to to watch carefully what they're doing and to relay, you know, what they're doing to me and it just is such a sacred time for us and for our family And I'm just so grateful that he was, you know, born healthy and came in a reasonable amount of time. So I think it probably was about 16 hours, about the same amount of time as 
Jackson, but everything went so, so smoothly. The nurses were tremendously kind and wonderful, and I just can't say enough good things about my experience having Cooper. It was so great. And so after he was born, obviously there can't be visitors in the hospital still, at least where we live. And so Pete FaceTimed the kids and said, meet your brother. And they didn't know what his name was yet. We hadn't decided. And they were all really vying for one certain option. But I kind of knew and we kind of agreed on the way to the hospital that it would be Cooper. And so we introduced him to Cooper. And it's wonderful just to introduce your kids with the name because it's like, well, of course their name is Cooper. And like I talked about in the other episode, they really wanted a sister. But as soon as they saw Cooper and then shortly after the next day, as soon as they met him, of course, of course, they wouldn't trade him for any other baby in the whole world, any other sibling. Yeah, after, you know, everything kind of calmed down and whatnot, they transferred me over to my postpartum room and it was about eight o'clock by the time we had eaten and, you know, got ready to transfer over, but everything was just so calm and chill and everything felt good. So I said, Pete, you go home and be with the boys and give them their special time and rest up because you're going to need it and we're all going to need it. And so it was just Cooper and me that first night and it was so just wonderfully special. Cooper was such a peaceful baby and I just cuddled him and held him and he slept in the little isolate next to my bed and my back was pretty much better at least significantly better than it was and so I'll take that and I just felt felt good I didn't hurt as much as I remember hurting with the other ones I didn't tear uh it was just it was just a really positive experience the morning after you have your baby, they give you a special breakfast, what they call the victory breakfast. And, you know, it's like special friends toast and special this, special that. Well, it wasn't so special. It was actually really gross. <laughs> so I was super excited to get home because, you know, the food was average at best. Uh, but yeah, just being with Cooper in that special room, it just felt like heaven. It just felt so like after the last year of craziness, it just felt like the ultimate reward of being in this little bubble of joy, of being so close to heaven. I just, I'll never forget being in that room with him, just him and me and being like, I did this and he is going to be such a gift to our family. So about two o'clock in the afternoon after he, you know, finished up everything, all his testing and we got cleared, Pete came and picked me up. We headed home to meet the boys and that reunion was so sweet. They were elated. They just couldn't get enough of him. He was so teeny tiny to them, right? Yes, he was eight pounds, eight ounce, or seven ounces, but he just seemed so small. And compared to, you know, what we're used to in our house, our big crazy boys having this tender, fragile newborn just kind of slowed everything down again. And it was so special. So then my parents were still in town and helped out a lot. We're so grateful to them. 
And that night we get the boys in bed and my parents ended up going over to my brother's house to sleep. He lives nearby. And Pete and I obviously were exhausted and ready for bed and Cooper was sleeping because newborns are the best because they actually do sleep, eat and sleep, eat and sleep. And I go to change his diaper one last time before bed and I open up his diaper and it's full of blood. I mean like a lot of blood and I can tell that it's coming from his circumcision incision. And so I call uh, my OB and tell her what's going on and she's like, yep, that's too much blood. Come in. I was so frustrated because I mean here we had just been discharged like six hours before and now they're telling me to go through the ER and I felt so safe up in the OB and in my little room and here I am in line checking in my less than no my 24 year old and here I am checking in my 30 hour old baby into the ER in a line with other coughing people and people in masks and people with all different ailments and I just I had him in his car seat and I had a blanket over his whole thing and so like he was like exposed to the air but I just I just started crying because I'm just like I don't want to be here I don't want him exposed to all of this like take me back to my bubble but I knew he needed to be seen and I had cleaned him up quite a bit and kind of wrapped it and everything but they took us back pretty quickly. Um, you know, being one day old, you get special treatment (laughs) and they take us back and they open up his diaper again and it's even worse. And I couldn't tell exactly where the bleeding was coming from. And so they had to like really work to, to clean it up again. And the doctor was really, you know, confused why it was bleeding so, so much. But eventually once it was cleaned up enough, he did realize it was more of a surface level from the incision kind of like one of the clots probably came loose or something and then started, you know, kind of gushing, but it wasn't, you know, coming out of his manhood or anything like that. And so he's like, I'm not concerned about, you know, long-term issues, but we are going to need to, you know, stop the bleeding. And so he put some special stuff on it and, you know, wraps it and teaches me how to dress it and everything. But he's like, I want to watch it for an hour to make sure that the bleeding stopped. So here I am, you know, one day postpartum back in the ER sitting on a gurney with my baby that I hardly know that was previously so peaceful and now is like, you know, just trying to figure life out. And it took about two hours to actually stop the bleeding. And and the other hard thing was Pete couldn't come in with me because of COVID. And so it was just me and Cooper again. And that's a moment that I really could have used him because it was just so hard to see Cooper like that. And, and I just was not feeling my best either. But thankfully we were able to get it under control. And I had an appointment two days later anyway for, you know, his first pediatric appointment. And they just said, you know, keep changing the dressing and it should be okay. And, you know, for the next day, it was still bleeding, not as much, but I had to keep changing the dressing. But after a few days, it looked much better. And now it's totally, totally fine. He'll be so glad I'm reporting on this (laughs) if he hears this in 30 years. But that was just such a a hard first night. And when we got home about one or two in the morning, I was just so grateful to be back home. But 
so scared and I just was reminded of the fragility of life and just to have appreciation for for our health and for good health care and <sighs> but we slept better that night and woke up the next morning. It was so grateful to be home. And since then it has been a real a real dream to to have him. Having a baby with big kids is really such a wonderful gift. For me to not have toddlers to attend to and to be able to just focus on the baby and know that my other kids are independent enough to be okay, to help get themselves food, to take care of each other if needs be. I mean, Jackson does still call for me to wipe him occasionally. Well, more occasionally than I'd like to admit. But he's even gotten better with that since Cooper was born. As I said, I'm only wiping one bum. (laughs) But they have just loved Cooper so, so much. And they all love holding him and looking at him and trying to make him smile And I think it is so good for them, that perspective and the sacrifice that is required to have a baby in the home again. And it's not easy. It's not easy. And, you know, I have to ask them to be quiet more often or I need to ask them to wait more often. And they do. And I think it's such a good lesson for them. And they know that Cooper is 100% worth it. And then in turn, I'm able to enjoy my sweet baby and... I did enjoy the other kids, but just having my attention divided with the other kids that still needed so much from me, this just feels like such a treat. And I just feel like the luckiest mom ever, ever. My recovery has been really, really good. I mean, it's my best yet. Um, The thing that has been most different with this recovery has been my weight loss it's essentially been non-existent. <laughs> I know that I have to make some lifestyle changes in order to make that happen um, because I'm not, you know, feeling my best. And it's not about being a certain weight or looking like I used to look. It's a matter of of feeling good and knowing that I am you know, have the energy that I want and need to have to keep up with all these kids. And I'm very much still in that recovery mode and in that that progress mode of getting back to kind of a place where I feel energetic and and just good about myself and, and the choices that I'm making. And I've been kind of slow to get back into, you know, incorporating exercise and changing things about my diet that I know are not serving me or especially adding in the things that do serve me. That's more about it, right? And so, you know, not having a goal weight in mind, I just, the elasticity of my stomach is, it's like a a snapped elastic, (laughs) like it is not bouncing back like it did. And it used to be so, so much easier for me. And so I'm just trying to give myself a lot of grace while also doing the things that I know will help myself to be physically and mentally strong and confident and in control of my my own body, right? I'm sure you can identify with that. So I'm hopeful that you know, that will be kind of be the next step of of my priorities and especially approaching summer once you know the demands of school lesson and things I just want to be outside and 
you know, walking more and doing more videos and yoga, which I love so much and, and just adding in more foods that really serve my body instead of just reverting back to, you know, the foods that, that I crave, which tend to be the sugar foods, right? And some of that's just fine and a good reward for, you know, a a tired night and everything like that. But that I want to, I want to feel better. I really do. So that's one of my goals this summer is, is to work towards that. In terms of my mental health, um, it's kind of been a little bit of a roller coaster. I would definitely say my postpartum anxiety is back. The best way that I can describe the feeling that I have on my especially, I usually have like an anxious day and then a day, a few days where I feel better and then an anxious day and a few days where I feel better. But my, I feel kind of like I'm made out of silly putty and everything about my body like feels thick and like it's hard to move and manipulate and then if I'm stretched too far, like I'm just going to like snap. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever had that feeling? Or sometimes it feels like my legs are like stuck in concrete and I'm trying to like sludge and trudge through things like so slowly. Something that I experienced after Jackson and it's really the reason I started this podcast was when I have anxiety and my thoughts, my words spin so fast that I have a hard time articulating myself and coming up with words. And that's one of the reasons I started the podcast to practice talking again and to have the questions written down so that I could converse with people in a way that felt more comfortable because what I was going to say was written down and I was largely going to be the listener. And that really helped my anxiety and my speech so, so much. And I've definitely, this makes me want to cry. I've definitely felt that reverting back to not being able to come up with words again. And because I'm still um, not being overly social, just kind of keeping Cooper out of, you know, a lot of public places and things like that, just like we do with all newborns. Um, I haven't had to talk with at length with many people and do long conversations and be social, but I went up to Camarillo a few weeks ago, um, to see some friends and everything. And that was the first time I had to talk at length with people. And I, and I've noticed myself having a hard time coming up with words that made me sad because I love people and I love talking and I'm like, Oh, dang it. But Again, it didn't catch me off guard. And so I just tried to, when I'm feeling those anxious feelings, just have a quieter day and not talk as much and not stress about it. Um, because the more I overthink it, the the worse it gets, right? And then the next day is usually a little bit better. Yeah, it's interesting. Another thing that I've noticed that I don't know if any of you have felt this way is... When I am nursing, I get a heightened spike of anxiety almost to the point of a panic attack. And there's actually a condition called DMER, M-E-R. And it's where you get a surge of anxiety because of the surge in milk producing hormones. Your dopamine drops drastically so that the milk producing hormone can increase. And some people's just dip faster. And as you know, those 
And as those things are trying to compensate for one another, that can send you kind of into this anxious state. And some of the words used to describe demer while you are nursing are having increased thoughts of anger, depression, anxiety, and self-loathing. And for me, it is absolutely anxiety and self-loathing. While I am nursing, I have these feelings of inadequacy and self-judgment and comparison and hate towards myself. It is the weirdest thing. And one thing I found that was not working for me was being on Instagram while I was nursing because we tend to be extra anxious, at least I do, comparing myself or just the scrolling, you know, nature of the scroll kind of makes you anxious. And so by doing that and having these thoughts and feelings, it was even worse. So I just started watching Gilmore Girls while I'm nursing to kind of distract myself. But it was crazy because the rest of the day I would feel pretty okay unless it was one of my really hard anxious days. But throughout the day I would feel fine and then I would sit down to nurse and I would feel like you're a terrible mother you are, you know, too big. You're not losing the weight. You're disgusting. Like all these things. And it's like, what on earth? Where'd that come from? But then it would go away after I was done nursing. So the fact that I recognize it and the fact that I know that this exists, and I've talked to a couple other people that experience this as well. Some people even get suicidal thoughts just while they're nursing. Isn't that crazy? And there's not a lot of talk about this specific type of postpartum mental health struggle. But I know that it exists. I know it has a name. I know it's not anything I'm doing wrong. And I know it will pass. And so nursing is going well other than that. So I feel like I'm going to continue unless it gets really bad and really brings me down. Otherwise, you know, I think that self-awareness component is really important and will help keep me going. So just be aware of that. If that's something you experience, you're not alone. I continued staying on Lexapro and I'm really glad that I did because I can't imagine doing it without it. (laughs) And I've even in the last like two weeks or so, I've gotten a little bit more anxious. And so I've considered calling my psychiatrist to increase my medication a little bit while I'm kind of dealing with the throes of this, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. But if you are somebody that is struggling postpartum in any way, physically, mentally, get help. There are so many resources. Pelvic floor physical therapy I've heard is amazing. That's not something that I needed, but I know that it's available and would have been an option had I needed it. Scheduling, you know, a counseling appointment, getting on medication, All of these things are options. Going on walks with a friend, doing something to serve somebody else, writing in a journal. These are all ways to help you feel more like yourself and to increase dopamine and feel like nothing is hopeless and you can get through anything even in these hard newborn days. So this is the birth story of Cooper, and we're so grateful that he's here. I hope you enjoyed listening to this. This is just kind of the story that I would give my friends if they asked about how it went. And so I consider all of you friends out there and just wanted to share. So if you are expecting, I hope 
the best for you. I hope it's a positive experience. My number one piece of advice when you're about to give birth is don't cling too tightly to any set of expectations. You know, arm yourself with information and confidence that you are capable of doing this, but the how and the length and the the means all you want is a positive outcome and a healthy baby on the other side, right? So do whatever you need to do to make that happen and don't cling too tightly to the expectations of how that needs to happen because ultimately the the trauma really comes from because ultimately once that baby's in your arms, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. But I have found for me, the expectations I have both with my pregnancy and my delivery, postpartum, and just in motherhood in general, it is all about expectations. And when we can give ourselves grace and love and compassion and not cling too tightly to a certain vision of how it needs to look, then we're able to enjoy it the most. So thanks for tuning in today. And we will see you next week for another episode with another extraordinary mom. Bye. So if you like birth stories, I hope you enjoyed that recap of Cooper's. I love hearing about people's experiences. And I think the more we can hear about different experiences, it really shows us that no two stories are the same. And we can kind of liberate ourselves from clinging too tightly to expectations um, and shaming ourselves when things don't go the way we thought they would. There's just no reason for that. There's no reason for guilt or shame in, in any of these outcomes of how a birth story unfolds. But this is mine. This is mine. And again, I want to reiterate, if you are postpartum, newly postpartum, even if it's been years, if you are struggling at all with mental health challenges, talk to somebody. Ask somebody close to you. Do I seem like myself? And if you don't, if you don't feel like yourself, if you're not feeling the joy you should be feeling, if you're not feeling the enjoyment that you normally feel, go talk to somebody. It doesn't mean you need to get on medication. Just talking through things. Parenting, motherhood is complicated. It is so hard and it brings up things from the past, from the present that can be really challenging to navigate. And just having an unbiased third party there to kind of listen to you, help you, offer you support, offer you resources, it can be a game changer. And there is so much more support than there used to be through churches, through insurance companies, through private practice. There's so many options out there. There is even better help, which is online counseling. There are literally less and less excuses for taking care of yourself. (laughs) And I am all for that. And if you feel like you need medication to help you to get through and to feel more like yourself, do it. Do it. There are so many more options, both in terms of the types of medications, dosages, when you take it. All of those things can influence how you feel on the medication. And for me personally, I have been on Lexapro for the last, uh, I think it's just been a year and a half now. And the doctor said, you know, do you want to get off it while you're pregnant? They said, even though it is, you know, deemed safe. That's what my doctor said. 
on the dosage that I'm on, but your baby may have a little withdrawal after delivery. And I sat with that for a few days considering, you know, those ramifications, but I mean, it's not the same as like hard drug withdrawal by any means. And I didn't notice anything significant um, postpartum. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that. But as Pete said, it's better for you to stay on the medication and you stay strong and stable than to go off it and then have to re-up onto it after and for you to struggle in those times. It's better for us to be able to hold Cooper a little bit more to get him through those early days of being a little fussier if that is what was going to happen. So I'm glad that he supported me in that decision. And yeah, I definitely think it was the right decision to stay on it. Because when you start a medication, it does take several weeks to feel the effects of it and see if it's working or not. And if it is working, great. If it's not, then you have to wean off it and then try something new. And it, it can be quite a process. So don't wait. Just have the conversation if you need support. It is not worth getting lower, 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 lower until you're really in a state that is unsafe or even just unhappy because of what's going on chemically in your brain. Get help. Reach out to somebody. DM me. I'm happy to be your sounding board. Anywho, love Cooper James. You can follow me on Instagram at jessicadalquist3 for more Cooper pictures. Of course, I'm always posting over there because he's just so darling. And yeah, we'll see you next week for another episode with another extraordinary bomb. Bye.